Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. We are in uh, chapter 8, and chapter 8 is really where the uh, series gets its name from about transitions, because in this chapter... Uh, Israel begins to trans, uh, make that transformation from being a kind of a colonial, feudal nation to becoming a, uh, a nation under a king. So this is a big, big section. So what I want to do is I want to read to you uh, chapter 8, and then we'll do our uh, look at this chapter, and then we'll do our application so we learn how to live more effectively for the Lord this week. Uh, chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. When Samuel grew old... He appointed his sons as lead, Israel's leaders. The names of, name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba, which is the southern part of the kingdom down by the uh, Dead Sea. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice, so that all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they, have, uh, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods so that they are uh, doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king will, who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king will, who will reign over you, will, you will claim his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and the olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. You, your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and then you yourselves will become his slaves." When the day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you on that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When the Samuel had heard these words uh, and when heard all the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. 
Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to his own town. So here we have this uh, incredible section where we have uh, Israel uh, going from a more modest uh, form of government to a monarchy where they have a king. So what's happening in this story is uh, Samuel is uh, getting old. He's been faithfully serving. We looked last week, chapter 7, Samuel had faithfully served as a prophet. When you think about Samuel, Samuel's ministry is impeccable. He's impeccable. He is, uh, he's honest. He's obedient to the Lord. He lives a godly life. He's doing an incredible job. Uh, You can't find one blemish on Samuel's life. Samuel is just, uh, he was just an incredible leader. Now, there's a couple people in Scripture like that. Daniel in the Old Testament is another guy like that. You look at Daniel, look at the life of Daniel. You can't find one thing, one blemish on Daniel's life. They're exemplary uh, uh, servant leaders. And so we have this in Samuel. Samuel is a great leader, but Samuel is getting old. Great leaders are going to die one day. And so Samuel is getting old, and so he appoints his sons to uh, take over for him. And so that's uh, what's going on. He's still actively a judge, but he's given uh, leadership to his sons, and his sons aren't like Samuel. His sons are, are not really positive. So he's getting old. Let me just ask you a question here. How many people here are over 50? You're over 50. Raise your hand. If you're able to raise your hand, raise your hand. <laughs> so we, we see Samuel getting old here. He's getting old. And, and it's, you know, it says in the text he's getting old, and the people come to him, and they say, you're getting old. Isn't that really wonderful? You know, it's one thing to look in the mirror and know that you're getting old or older, but to have people tell you that you're getting old, that's really hard. And uh, so that's what's going on here. They tell Samuel that he's old. And so uh, what I love about getting older is it's the conversations with my friend is, friends is so much easier. There's so many more things to talk about. Now that I'm older and my friends are older, there's so many more things to talk about. You can talk about your knees, your back. <laughs> Your neck, you know, there's just, you know, you go on to your prostate, everything, you talk about everything. So it's ironic, every, every uh, friend that I have, when we get together with our friends, uh, we're just talking all the time about, you know, different body parts, what's going on and all that. So uh, that's a fact of life. Hey, there's some great scriptures about getting old. Isaiah 46.4 says, even in your old, uh, even uh, to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who sustains you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. The Lord's going to take care of people. I lo- Here's my favorite verse about getting old. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. How many know maybe your body is getting older, but your spirit's getting younger? You're more and more like Jesus all the time. Here's a little quote somebody said, I love my new bifocals. My dentures fit me fine. My hearing aid is perfect, but Lord, I miss my mind. Anyhow, there you go. (laughs) So Samuel uh, is uh, getting older, creates a dilemma. And there's always a dilemma in transition of leadership, how you do that. So Samuel's getting older, and the Bible says that he points his sons to be uh, his successors. But his sons have no integrity. The Bible says that his sons uh, take bribes from the people. They are actually the judges in the land. So when there's a property dispute or when there's some type of uh, misunderstanding between people and they come before the court system, 
that uh, Samuel's sons are over, they, they don't care anything about justice or what is correct or right. They just want to take money. So if somebody's willing to pay them, they'll give the people whatever they want. So they lack integrity. They don't have any integrity. So therefore, the people push back when they uh, are given the forecast that Samuel's sons are going to be taking over for him because they don't have integrity. Now, Samuel has perfect integrity, but his sons have no integrity. And here's an issue. Here's a very important principle. They aren't willing to follow uh, Samuel's sons because there's a trust issue. Listen to this. All leadership is based on trust. All leadership is based on trust. Where there is no trust, there is no influence. You've got to have a person that you trust in order to follow them. Now, that's true in the family. If you've got a, a, you know, a husband that's not doing well with the finances, he's not managing the finances well, and he's making poor decisions, uh, and uh, the family's in jeopardy because of those poor decisions, the trust goes down, and his influence, uh, it, it, the trust uh, goes down, and the influence goes down at the same time as well. People never follow anyone that they don't trust. And so there, this is a great principle in the story, and the principle shows that the people had no trust in the forecasted leadership, so there's a crisis there. And there has to be trust in, in leadership. Leadership is, has got to be, it's always based on trust. Here's what Seth Godwin said. Seth Godwin is a great, uh, maybe some of you have read Seth Godwin's books. I think I got a picture of Seth Godwin. He's a great, uh, great leader. Great, uh, he has a great blog out. He's a, a lot of people that are in business study Seth Godwin. Here's what Seth Godwin says about trust. Seth Godwin says, earn trust, earn trust, earn trust, then you can worry about the rest. Earn trust, earn trust, earn trust, then you can worry about the rest. If you don't have trust in the leadership uh, of any organization, a company, uh, a business, a country, uh, any realm where there's a diminishment of trust, there's a diminishment of leadership. Uh, uh, Stephen Covey says this, trust is the goal, is the glue of life. Trust is the glue of life. It is the most essential ingredient in effective communication. It's the foundational principle that holds all relationships. So when you think about relationships uh, with other people in your family, in your business, uh, maybe you work in a school, maybe you're a, a principal at a school, uh, whatever your role is, you've got to work on the trust issue. Trust is very important. That means that what you say, when you say something, you follow through on what you say. You don't make empty promises. One of the things that happens is when we mislead people, we lose our capacity to lead people. When we mislead people, we lose the capacity to lead people. So you've got to be honest. Uh, if you tell your kids you're going to take them to the zoo, you've got to take them to the zoo. If you're leading a church like I am, if we <clears throat> announce a project <clears throat> and we collect funds for those projects, we're going to do those projects. Because trust is essential for all leadership. Say it with me. Trust is essential to all leadership. So there is a trust vacuum uh, in the situation here in Samuel's time. Because there's no trust in his sons, 
There's a crisis that's going on, and so it's a very important, important principle. So how can you lose trust? Number one, you can lose trust by making bad decisions that affect other people in a negative way. By making bad decisions that affect people in, in a negative way. If you make bad decisions, um, you know, if you're uh, leading your family and you make poor financial decisions over and over again, you lose, the, you lose the trust of your family. You lose the trust of your spouse. Now, everybody's going to make some bad decisions every once in a while. Somebody's going to, everybody's going to make some mistakes. But if you make a series of bad decisions over and over and over again, it doesn't matter how much you quote the Bible, hey, submit to you know, me, I'm the leader and all that. You can quote that until you're blue in the face. You don't have any uh, authority because you haven't, had, uh, haven't built trust. You build trust the way you put a foundation into a house. You build it one brick at a time. Good decisions. You make good decisions over and over again. John Maxwell, how many have ever heard of John Maxwell? He's a great uh, leadership uh, author about leadership. He says that when you're given a position of leadership, it can be in your home, a new, you know, new husband, uh, or you're the, pointed to a new uh, position at work or whatever. He said you're given a, a, a wad of cash in your hand. He said when you make bad decisions, you lose some of that cash. They take that cash from you. Uh, when you make good decisions, you get more cash. You have more influence. He said if you make so many bad decisions that all the cash is gone, he basically says it's U-Haul time. It's U-Haul time. You've lost your, you forfeited your right to, to lead. So good decisions. You must make good decisions. That's why the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 6, that if any man lacks wisdom, anybody here ever lack wisdom? Just raise your hand if you lack wisdom. That means that you should pray for wisdom on a regular basis, that God gives you wisdom so that you make good decisions because when you make good decisions, you, the trust in you goes up and your influence goes up. So that's very, very important that you do that. Today represents, uh, for me, this is, this, I just throwing this in here, it just makes me think. Uh, for me, this is, today was uh, the day I came here 38 years ago. This is my 38-year anniversary here at Bayshore. So uh, it was a week before Thanksgiving when I preached here for the first time. And so I have to tell you, I made some, I didn't make, always make good decisions over the last 38 years, but I've tried to make as many good decisions as I can. Uh, because as you make good decisions, good decisions have people trust you and your leadership effective, effectiveness goes up. So uh, how you can lose trust by making bad decisions. So pray for wisdom. Marsheets, a great pastor, was a mentor to me from Dallas, Texas. Um, he told me, he said he prays for wisdom every single day. And so that's something I've tried to do on a regular basis. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom. And so that's an important thing. So make sure if, you're, if dad should be praying for wisdom, mom should be praying for wisdom, leading those kids. Uh, if you're leading uh, in government, if you're leading in a business, wherever you're leading, make sure that you pray for wisdom every day. And remember Solomon, the book uh, when Solomon became king uh, and he was uh, asked by the Lord in a dream, I'll give you whatever you want. Uh, what do you want? And Solomon says, give me wisdom, then I can lead your people effectively. So bad decisions uh, will help, uh, will take leadership ability from you and will help you lose trust. Uh, number two, always doing things for your benefit and not for the benefit of others. What was going on with Samuel's sons? They were taking money from the people for themselves. Poor leadership is focused on self, not on serving. Uh, and so you look at Samuel, Samuel's sons, what was going on, why they didn't have any trust of the people is they were egocentric and they were doing things for themselves. So <clears throat> for dad, leading your family, 
you have to ask the Lord, you know, is it the right time to buy that bass boat? Is it going to be the best thing for your family? Now, not that you can't ever get a bass boat, but you probably shouldn't get it for your wife for Christmas. She's going to see right through that, you know. <laughs> but make sure you do things for, uh, for others, serving others. It's about others. Great leaders are focused on others. And, and Samuel's sons were taking bribes. They weren't. Here's what it says in Philippians, one of the best chapters in the whole New Testament, Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So make sure that you're focused. Jesus was a great leader, and Jesus was a great leader because he was always focused on others. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So that's an important principle. Say, say this, great leaders are focused on serving others. When you see a leader that's everything about them, everything's about them, doesn't matter if it's business, doesn't matter if it's church, doesn't matter if it's government, doesn't matter where it is. It can't be about the person. It has to be about the other, uh, about people that you're serving. Uh, number, uh, number three, here's a thing. Um, uh, you lose trust by lying, by lying when you don't tell the truth. It's important that we tell the truth. Uh, here's what Bo Bennett said. Bo Bennett said, for every good reason there is to lie, there's a better reason to tell the truth. So make sure when you're leading your company, uh, if you're making promises to your customers, that you don't lie, that you keep your word. Uh, number four, this is similar. This is a cousin. Make promises you don't keep. That's a way to lose uh, trust. So make sure you keep your promises. And number five, uh, the last way you can lose uh, a trust is by not listening, by not listening. It says in uh, James chapter 1, verse 19, but my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Here's what's interesting about leadership. Leadership comes from not talking as much as it does listening. When you listen to people, you gain influence in their life. If you don't listen to them, you have no, you have no influence in their life. Uh, it's very, very important that you listen to people. Uh, that's an important, important principle. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody where the whole conversation is completely about them? And then when you bring up something about yourself, you've been talking to them for 25 minutes, and it's been about... Everything about them, everything about them. How many have ever talked to anybody like that? Um, and, and I'm not sure you're not married to anybody like that, I know. But if you have ever been talking to somebody like that, and, uh, and then you bring up something that you want to you know, talk about. I remember talking to this guy one time, and I mean, he just went on for 40 minutes. We had lunch together, and he just went on for 40 minutes about everything. And that's, hey, I'm there. I'm a, I'm a listener. I, wanna, I was enjoying it. And then I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll just share a little bit about my life so we kind of have you know, a little more connection here. And I started sharing something. He, like, completely lost contact. He, like, could not stay focused, you know. And uh, so that's it. Good leaders are listeners, learning to listen. Listen to your kids. Listen to people that you work with. Listen to your staff. An important thing. Uh, here's what uh, Stephen Covey says. This is great in his Seven Habits of Effective People, one of the great books of, of our culture. Uh, habit number five is seek first to understand, then to be understood. Seek first to understand. That means you listen to people. You want to understand what they're, what they're saying, what they're coming from, and then seek to be understood. So say that with me. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. One more time. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. This works in marriage. 
So if you're having an argument, instead of trying to get your point across to, to win the argument, just really kind of tool it back a little bit and listen. Just listen to what she's saying or listen to what he's saying and just kind of listen and take that in and then you can respond out of wisdom. So trust is essential and in this story, uh, there's a crisis in the nation because of lack of trust. That's a very, very important principle. I remember when Karen and I used to live, when we moved here 38 years ago, we lived next door to the church. There was a mobile home. I've told this story many times. There was a mobile home there, a big front yard, and uh, what is now the, what used to be the, uh, uh, the food pantry was a garage that we kept our stuff in. And uh, when, when our kids were little, we had this little wagon, a little red wagon. And uh, I came home one day, and my son Tim, I don't know how old he was, maybe four years old, he said, Daddy, pull me in the wagon. Pull me in the wagon. I'd love to, you know, pull him in the wagon. So I pull him in the wagon. So I pull him in the wagon in the front yard. He said, Daddy, run. Go fast. Go fast. And so I started running, and he's bumping up and down. He's laughing. He's having a good time. And uh, I'm running faster and faster. And we hit a pothole. There's a little pothole in the, in the, in the yard there. And the front wheels of that wagon went into that pothole and flipped that wagon over and threw him out and he just skidded across the grass. First thing I did was turn around to see if Karen could see from the, uh, <laughs> see if she was looking from the mobile home there. I, I wanted, and then I wanted to check on him, but I wanted to check she saw that first. And I said, uh, Tim, we don't have to tell mommy everything we did today. We don't have to tell her everything we did today. But funny thing about that, Funny thing about that, he never asked me to pull him in the wagon again, and, the, uh, and if he was sitting in the wagon while I come home, he would get out of the wagon. He didn't want to be in the wagon. He didn't trust me. He didn't trust me to pull him in the wagon. And you've got to have trust. You've got to have trust. Trust is the most important thing. Build trust, build trust, build trust, and then take care of the rest. Very important principle. Number two uh, issue of the day. Uh, here's, here's something in the story I thought was really good. That They come to Samuel and they tell Samuel, you know, we, we, you're getting old and we don't want your sons to rule over us. And uh, it says in verse 6, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this t- displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. I thought that was an interesting little phrase. This bothered Samuel. This bothered Samuel. Now, I don't know why it bothered him. Probably, one of, if you're honest, honest about the text, probably Samuel's such a good leader, probably he never, never hardly is criticized. And he's not used to being criticized. And so he's criticized for this decision. And so when you're not criticized much and then you are criticized, it's hard to kind of get used to that. And uh, so uh, they, and, and maybe it was, it was his decision to make these uh, kids, you know, and he did that. And they, the people didn't like it, and the people called him on it, and it was probably correct that they called him on it. But this bothered Samuel, and so he prayed to the Lord. Let me ask you a question here. Has anybody ever said anything to you that bothered you? How many has ever said anything? How many has ever had somebody say something to you that bothers you? It bothers you. I mean, it just hurts your feelings. Just lift your hand if that's ever happened. Now, this is going to happen Thursday this week. You're going to have that happen Thursday. <laughs> this, this part of the message is for Thanksgiving. So you get together with people, and sometimes people say things that hurt your feelings. It offends you or it bothers you. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where somebody says something and it offends you. 
Uh, it's an insult to you, or it bothers you, or it hurts your feelings. And what you do is, many times you try to muscle the control of your face muscles so, so people can't see that that bothered you. And, uh, but inside, you're offended. Now, what do you do when somebody says something to you that bothers you? It happens to all of us, you know. Chuck Swindoll said we're like porcupines dancing together. We keep poking each other. Uh, and I think that's... Uh, True of life. There's a great, uh, there's a uh, great uh, HBO special on John Adams. I don't know if you've ever seen it. John Adams, uh, the second president of the United States. Great, great HBO sex, uh, special. It's really, really good. I don't know how many parts it is. I've watched it a number of times. But uh, they show in the uh, in the movie. They show uh, Thomas Jefferson when he's critiqued by Benjamin Franklin and John Adams about the Declaration of Independence. You know. Uh, Thomas Jefferson is a little bit, uh, kind of a little bit of an, uh, I would say, uh, introvert. And that's why he was a great writer. He wasn't a great speaker. He was the guy, when he was president, he never made speeches. He wrote his speeches out, and they, somebody else read it for him. So he was an introvert. So he was a perfectionist. And he wrote the Declaration of Independence. And in the movie, it shows that uh, Thomas Jefferson's work of the Declaration of Independence is being critiqued by John Adams and Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin just says whatever's on his mind. And so he says, well, this is not right. And he takes a pen, that's not right. And you can see on Jefferson's face how much he was offended and hurt by it. And they made 86 changes, Benjamin Franklin and John Adams and the Continental Congress, they made 86 changes to the Declaration of Independence after Thomas Jefferson wrote it. And you can see on Jefferson's face that he had, a, he was, had hurt feelings about it. Had hurt feelings. It hurt him uh, when they said something that bothered him. So what do you do when, when people say something that bothers you? Uh, and here's, here's a couple things real quickly. Number one, check for the truth in the pain. Check for the truth in the pain. Is there something true in what people said that, that you need to listen to? That's an important thing. Uh, and so sometimes it may not even be delivered in a nice way. Maybe it was a little, you know, rough and it wasn't delivered very sensitive. But still, is there any truth in that? There's a great story in the book of Matthew, Matthew 17, where uh, Jesus and his disciples are going to Capernaum. And when they get to Capernaum, to, to go to Capernaum, uh, they're asked if they, uh, that Peter's asked, does your master pay taxes and do you pay taxes? And he has a conversation with Jesus about that. And Jesus has this little comment about that. And he tells Peter to go to the, uh, to the lake there, the Sea of Galilee, throw a line in and you'll catch a fish. And when you catch the fish, they'll pull it out and there'll be a gold coin in the fish's mouth. Use that gold coin to pay my taxes and your taxes. And it was a coin big enough to cover both taxes. And that, that story is interesting to me because sometimes valuable things come out of the mouth of not-so-nice people. Say it with me. Valuable things sometimes comes out of the mouth of valuable people. So is there anything I can learn from this? That's a good thing. Number one, is there anything I learned from it? Number two, don't vent and express your anger to the person that hurt your feelings. Don't vent and express your anger to the person that hurt your feelings. Sometimes we think, uh, hey, just that person just says what's on their mind. They just let it fly. That is a great thing. That's, that's really not a virtue. Saying what's on your mind uh, spontaneously is not a virtue. It's not a virtue. The proverb says this. The proverb says, 
Fools, Proverbs 29, 11, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise brings calm in the end. And then it says in Proverbs, uh, a wise person overlooks an insult. Say that with me. A wise person overlooks an insult. That's an important, important principle. So uh, don't vent your feelings. Number three, don't uh, replay the painful words over and over again. Uh, you know, if you hit your thumb with a, nail, with a hammer, don't keep hitting it. Don't replay the negative over and over again. Uh, if you see a bad movie, you don't go see it again. If something's negative, you, just, you, don't, just, you don't replay it over and over again. And number four, here's what Samuel did. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this, this pleased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. So when somebody says something that hurts your feelings, or someone says something that offends you, and that's what happened to Samuel, it, it offended him, it hurt his feelings, and he took it to the Lord. He took it to the Lord. So that's what I have tried to do and want to keep doing in my ministry when something hurts my feelings or something said that offends me. Uh, I surely don't want to vent. That's be poor, poor leadership. But I want, to, I want to take that to the Lord. It says in the book of Kings when uh, the Assyrian general came and surrounded Jerusalem and said all these negative things against Hezekiah and against uh, the, the nation. That, and he put it in, in a letter form that Hezekiah took that letter up to the temple and he spread it out before the Lord. So take uh, hurtful things to the Lord. It says in as 1 Samuel 8, verse 6, when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So what does it say? So he prayed to the Lord. Say it again. So he prayed to the Lord. Say it out loud with me. So he prayed to the Lord. One more time. This displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. Spread it out to the Lord. Do not be anxious. First uh, Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, every situation by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. So when it says, do not be anxious about anything, the word anxious there in the Greek means to be, have your mind pulled or distracted. When something's in your mind and it's bothering you, don't be anxious about everything, anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. So you take that to the Lord. When I was, a, I was growing up as a kid, uh, we used to have stray dogs all the time. That were, we lived in the country, so people would drop their dogs off. And so we had always had animals, and we had... Uh, these dogs. And I remember we, we also, on the farm that I lived uh, on and near with my grandparents, um, we, there was uh, sandburrs. How many remember sandburrs? Remember sandburrs? Those, those sandburrs, we had them really bad in our neighborhood where we were. And so uh, I remember one day, uh, one of the dogs we had there, uh, he was going through the sandburrs there. He, didn't, he was going over the, crossing the field and he got in the ditch where there were sandburrs and he got a sandburr stuck right in his right in his front paw. And he was, he was hobbling around the yard like that. So he was just hobbling around with that sandbur. And so I sat on the step, and I can't remember what I called it. You know, it was, we had so many dogs, I forgot their names. Uh, so I called him, and he came over there, and he hobbled over there. And I looked at his paw, and there he had that sandbur right in the middle of the paw. And so I just gently pulled it out, and got the sandbur out, got all the little... Uh, little little particles out, 
and wiped it off, and he went off running. So in your life, when somebody sticks a sandbar in your paw, you take it to your father. Take it to your father. Now, this is not the end of the sermon, but the Holy Spirit is just impressing on me right now that somebody here right now needs to get a sandbar out of your paw. Something's really offended you and it's really bothering you. So we're going to take a little commercial break. I want you to lift up your hands to the Lord right now. And, and take that thing to the Lord. Maybe somebody said something to you that really, really hurt your feelings a long time ago. Maybe it was recent. Really, really said something that really, really has kept you in bondage. You've been thinking about it. You've been replaying it. Uh, when you, uh, and you are just really struggling with that. So, Father God, right now, I just pray for liberty and freedom to come on people that are feeling in bondage to the words of other people. We pray right now that, the, that, that as we take those things that have hurt our feelings, we take them to the Lord and we pray for you to liberate us from that so we don't walk under the shadow of that. We can hold our head up high. We can be confident because you are with us and you're taking care of us and you have a plan for life. And what they said about us is not true and doesn't define your opinion of us. And we just thank you for freedom and liberty. And just say this with me, Jesus... I receive freedom from those words. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let me give you one more quote on this point, and we're moving to the last point, and I got one minute and 26 seconds, so here we go. Uh, let me give you this quote, one of my favorite quotes here. Well, I can't find it, so I'll just tell it to you. Eleanor, Eleanor Roosevelt, Eleanor Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt's wife, she said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Say that with me. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. That was a little sloppy, so why don't I say it first, then you say it after me. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Okay, I'm almost out of time, but let me just uh, give you this little thing. What is the issue with them wanting a king? What's the issue with them wanting a king? Now, it would be inappropriate for us to say it was never God's will for them to have a king, and they were going to be a theocracy because the, the, the Bible doesn't really bear that out because there were prophecies like uh, in Genesis chapter 17, uh, I think this is to Abraham, I will make you very fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. Uh, chapter 17, Genesis verse 16, I will bless her and surely give you a son by her. Speaking of uh, Sarah, I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. So I could give you about 10 verses to show that it was God's will that they would eventually have a king, but it wasn't the right time. And it was the wrong tribe. The tri it says in uh, Numbers and uh, the end of Genesis, Genesis chapter 49, that the king was to come from Judah, Saul, that they're going to choose to come from Benjamin. So it wasn't the right time. But the bottom line is they had the wrong motive about this. They had the wrong motive about this. Is they said, give us a king so we can be like other people, and he will lead us out to war. So basically, they want to get a person that they can look to, that they can see, that will be their security. And if we have a king like the other nations, 
He will lead us to war, and we'll be okay. Never look to a person to be your ultimate savior. Look at the God behind the person. God provides people to lead us, but behind the people is the Lord who takes care of us. So we're coming up on an election. I'm surely not going to say much about politics here, but I will say this, that every four years we go through this cycle, we say, give us a king, give us a king. If we can just find the right person, that's going to solve all our problems. And it does matter how we go about that, and it does matter that we read and think and and make good choices about that. But at the end of the day, it's not the person that will save America. It's the God behind the person that God appoints. So we need to remember that. I mean, I've been, I mean, like, I'm not going to tell you how old I am because I I don't want to start doing that anymore. I'm not telling you how old I am. I'm getting younger every day, but I'm telling you, I've been through this and we're like, every people go through these cycles, man, this, we get this, we're going to be okay. Get this, we're going to be okay. Listen, trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not on their own understanding and all their ways acknowledge him. And the problem, I was talking to my dad about this. I was riding, taking him to the doctor this week and I was, hey, I'm preaching on chapter eight of you know, first Samuel, I said, what do you think that is about them wanting a king? What do you, what do you think about that? He said, well, he said, I, he said, I think they wanted to see something. They wanted to see a king. They needed to see something with their eyes. And so many times we want a, we want a tangible thing. We want a person. We want that person to be our answer. But you know what? What's written on our, our coinage? I've got a coin here, our currency. What does that say? In, say it with me, in God, we trust. I'm, I'm glad they haven't taken that off the coin yet. I hope they never do. Because how many know that that's really in God we trust? And they wanted, they really wanted, they were getting lazy in their faith, and they said, hey, we're tired of believing God. We're tired of trusting God. Let's just get a king, and he'll take care of us. We need to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. If you're sick, you get the best doctor you can. You go to Johns Hopkins, you get the best doctor you can get. But at the end of the day, behind that doctor, you see the Lord Jehovah, who is your healer. We go through a political process. We all put our brains together. We elect the best person we can come up with. But behind that person, we think, in God we trust. Can you say a big amen? Something happens to me, I get locked, y'all. I can't preach anymore. And there's some, you get somebody, guy up here has got hair, you know. <laughs> hey, listen, 38 years ago, I came and uh, this, these people said, oh, man, we got us a young boy. Man, he's a good preacher boy. Man, that was a young, good preacher boy. I tell you, anything that's happened in Bayshore has nothing to do with this young preacher boy. I mean, I've done my best, but behind it, there's a God who had a plan for this community, and it's God that we trust in. We trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. Say it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Larry Burkett, four minutes over. Okay, here, I'm coming here. Larry Burkett used to, he was, he was the Dave Ramsey forerunner. Anybody remember Larry Burkett? Slightly much boorer version of Larry uh, than, than, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Dave Ramsey. But Larry Burkett used to tell this story about this hiker. 
this hiker was hiking along this narrow path. And as he's hiking, he slips off and he falls down the side of this cliff and there's a limb sticking out. And he grabs a hold of that limb and he catches it just in time and he's dangling over that ravine hundreds of feet down. He's scared to death. He begins to yell, is there anybody up there? Is there any up, anybody up there that can help me? And he hears this voice. I'm here. Who are you? I'm the Lord. Do you trust me? The Lord says to him. Oh, Lord, you know I trust you in everything. And that voice said, let go. Let go. I'll take care of you. The hiker paused and he said, is there anybody else up there that can help me? <laughs> when the children of Israel said, give us a king, give us a king. They're saying, is there anybody else up there that can help us? Is there anybody else up there that can help us? The Lord is your help, a very present help in trouble. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. I don't know your story. I don't know what you're going through, but I know the Lord. I know the Lord is your sustainer. Would you lift your hands right now and let the Holy Spirit minister his grace and power to you? Lord, we thank you for the power of God that's moving among us today. The Holy Spirit's moving, setting us free. We don't have to be fearful of a future that's unknown because we have a God that we know that's going to guide us and direct and take care of us. Forgive us, Lord, for looking to human beings. Forgive us to looking to lesser models. Lord, we've been like Israel. Give us a king. Give us a king. Forgive us, Lord, for our arrogance and forgive us of our lack of trust in you. So, God, we trust you with all of our heart because we know that you're going to take care of us and you're going to watch over us. And we can be safe and we, be, we can be secure as we move into Thanksgiving this week. We can lift our hands to a God who knows everything about us is going to take care of us. And we love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a praise offering for his grace in our life. Amen.